for our church family, one of the things that's happening um, in our life is uh, a recognition that God has called us as the people of God and us as Redeemer Church uh, to be a light to the nations, to share good news, the gospel of Jesus Christ in neighborhoods and nations. And so as we are contemplating that more this year and considering it and saying, Lord, what is our role in that? And then being active in that, um, we have this series that will be, that's going on for several weeks now. And uh, it's just, we enjoy it so much, we don't know when it's exactly going to stop, but uh, we have probably a couple more weeks. Um, And looking at the idea of evangelism, um, the giving of the good news in all kinds of neighborhoods and all kinds of nations. And so uh, today we will begin at the beginning uh, in uh, Genesis 1. And what we see from the beginning is that God is God all by himself. And as in church life we, we often say, and he doesn't need any help. God is our creator from before the beginnings of the earth, he has always been and he always will be. And God is God all by himself. He does not need us for anything. He isn't beholden to us. He does not have uh, any responsibility as the creation. He is free. He doesn't have to preserve us. He doesn't have to take care of us. He doesn't need our fellowship. He doesn't need our worship. He doesn't need those things in order to exist. He is all by himself. God doesn't need fellowship because he has never been alone. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit have been living in perfect communion for all of eternity. And and so even now, for us to think that God needs us in order to be happy or to be well or to fulfill or he needs our worship, when we are just a a blip in eternity, our Uh, The history of humankind is a blip, and your and my life is but a blip of a blip. Here on earth, certainly, our shortness here, our brevity on earth, even if it meant something to who he was, it wouldn't pacify him very long, right? (laughs) No, he's been eternal, three in one forever, in perfect communion But, even though he doesn't have to have us, God loves us. That's good news. He doesn't need us. But because of who he is, 1 John tells us, and God is love. So God is both eternal, God is uh, also uh, fully himself, he needs nothing else. But God also is love. So in his creation, it is woven together in this love. 
God loves his creation. As a creator, he loves what is created, the thing that is his. Just like you and me, if we were to make something, we would really enjoy it. As you pass by, you, that thing, you drive by the, maybe the house that you designed or the fence that you built or, or, or the, the cake that you baked. Ah, this is, well, not when I bake the cake, but when maybe my daughter bakes the cake, you look at this is great and it's delicious and, and there's a certain joy you have in that which is created. And God has that joy in us because of the creator, because of who he is. The thing that he created is good. In fact, in Genesis 2, it says that as he looked at his creation, he, he kept saying, now this is good, and this is good. And then when he's done, and after he's created man, he said, now this is very good. This is very good. So God loves us. That's good news. God loves us. And he loves his creation, and especially he loves you and me as humankind, because of all of his creation, we resemble him the most. It's the most like him. And so he has even a greater appreciation, a, a greater love for us who are, we who are unique in all of creation. He loves us especially uniquely and he loves us intently and intensely. We are as all of the creatures of, uh, creatures of creation the ones who resembled him most, who bear his image. And then, and then, the ancient and enduring tragedy of creation. For God had created a beautiful place in the garden for Adam and Eve's creation. The creation itself did not return the love, right? Didn't respond to how God would make things and keep things in order and in peace and well. Man and woman, you and me, we are just like the first, <laughs> the first creation, Adam and Eve. We, we chase after things that are not God. We chase after all kinds of other things. We, we chase after even the created thing. We, cre we chase after place and position, a power, and all kinds of purposes outside of who God is and what he requires of us. And that pursuit of other things is our worship. We love them. We give ourselves to them. Man and woman have always chased after other things and chased after each other, right? Listen to Romans 1.21. It says, for although they knew God, they did not honor him as God. Or give thanks to him. But they became futile in their thinking. Nonsense. Nonsensical. And their foolish hearts were darkened. You see, if we take this path of saying, all right, I know, God, you are there. And I know that you are the creator. And I know that I'm, that you're the, that I'm the created. And if we walk this way, away from him... That is just foolishness, but in the end, what that causes us to have a heart that is darkened. We no longer understand what is good and wise and well anymore because we are walking away from all things good, wise, and well, right? And so as we move down this path, this path takes us in the direction of a darkening heart that ends in a dark 
place. And we have found it, haven't we? And so our nature now is to walk away from the creator. As the creation, we walk towards all the rest of creation. And we seek to find our way. And as we do, we, re we don't realize that at the end of this path is only death. And it is a path that we take for all of our lives. It is a path that says, I know I am not going to recognize you as God. I'm going to go my own way. And the end is an eternal separation from that God. And all along the way is destruction and confusion and loss and brokenness and violence and greed and anger, and, and, and lust, and drunkenness, and shame all along the path. All the while, God is saying, come back to me. Come to me. But our nature will not allow we go this direction. And I speak as we, because we have all been on that path. But God, but God has not given up on us. Amen. God has not given up on us. And he has made a, path, a way, he's made a path for us. God has chosen to bless the world, to love the world, and he does it in a most unique way. And this is where, this is where I hope the message begins to take a turn for you and help us understand how this fits into the bigger picture of evangelism. God, in his in his plan. He didn't have to do this, but this is the plan that he's chosen. He, he takes a vessel. And as we'll see in the story, the, the vessel is uh, not usually a real nice one. And he chooses to tell the world, to, to, to announce to the world the right way, the path to God, the, the path back to a world that is blind, foolish, Darkened in their hearts, he has chosen vessels that he gives this message to, to call them back to God. And so the story begins, this, this vessel choosing begins with a most unlikely character named Abram. And, and, and for us church folks, we, we recognize Abram, Abraham. And he was in the Ur, the in Ur, the Chaldeans, a place far away from from the very beginnings. And and he makes his way, and God is leading him, and he's calling him to be his man, to be his family. He chooses Abram of all people. The Bible describes him as a wandering Aramean, which means like he's a homeless guy. <laughs> Like he has no place of his own. And he says, of you, I am going to make a great nation. Genesis 18, uh, chapter 18, verse 17, when he's speaking about Abraham and whether he's going to tell them about the, the, he, the plans that he has for Sodom and Gomorrah. He says this, seeing that Abraham shall surely become a great and mighty nation and all the nations of the earth shall be blessed in him. For I have chosen him that he may command his children and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord by doing righteousness and justice so the Lord may bring to Abraham what, what he has promised to him. So you see, so he takes this vessel, this Abram, this, this homeless man, and he says, of you 
who has no children and no land, I'm going to make you a great nation in which you will bless all nations. I'm going to give you the truth to share with them and to change the world. Abraham. Why Abraham? Who knows? Like, it's, it's not what I was thinking, right? I would be thinking, Abraham. Man who has no children, has no land. But God chooses this vessel. And then he has finally a son whose name is Isaac. And that promise is now filling up the vessel. And now it's not just Abraham, now it's Isaac, and now it's Jacob. Right? And so Jacob is now the vessel. He is giving the same promise. In fact, as Jacob is fleeing Esau, his brother, his brother said, since you've stolen my blessing, since you've really stolen the promise from me, what I'm going to do is I'm going to kill you next time I see you. That's what Esau says of his brother. And so Jacob says, okay. And so he heads out to a place called Padanaran. And as he goes, he is crossing land that is inhabited by pagans, by people who worship many gods and not the god that Jacob worships. And so as he's going along and he is trying to get through this land with some safety, maybe even fearful of the gods of that land, as he sleeps there, as he lays down, he has this vision, this dream, where there are angels going up and down. Do you remember this story, Jacob's Ladder? And the, the, the angels are coming up and down, and they, the, the end of the ladder is right where he is. And so he sees the angels going up, and the angels coming down, and he hears a voice from heaven, and it reaffirms the promises that were given to Abraham. I am going to make you a nation, you are going to be my people, and you are going to be a blessing to everybody. And he's like, here? Me? What's going on? Right? And so he, he wakes up from this dream, and he takes the, the, the rock that was his pillow, and he places it there, and he adds more rocks, and he makes an altar and begins to worship God in that foreign place because God is going to be king in that place too. All the world is his. And he's going to use the Abrahams and the Isaacs and the Jacobs of this world to share that good news and be, be a blessing to the whole world. So he says, I'm going to call this, the Bible says, and that place was called Luz, but I'm going to call this place Bethel. The house of God. The house of God in the middle of nowhere. And God was going to be a blessing to the people of Luz and to the whole world. Then, as you know, the story goes on. Jacob later is wrestling with God himself, and God changes his name to Israel. And Israel then is going to be the nation of Israel, right? And so from him, his descendants are the nation of Israel, and they are the vessel. They are the vessel which God is going to use to share good news. Now, are they a good vessel? No. The word Israel means struggles with God. <laughs> like, that's the name of your country, you know? The United States of struggle with God, right? That's, that's who they are. They are going to struggle with God the whole story. They are, they're, the name of the country is not, or the people is not the people of God. It is the struggling people of God. And once again, God is going to use 
that vessel. He's going to fill it up, and he's going to use them to be a blessing to all nations. And so what does he do? He, he calls them out of Egypt, and he takes them through the wilderness, and he brings them to a, a mountain, Mount Sinai, and there they receive the Ten Commandments. And the Ten Commandments is, this, is a picture of what it is to be faithful, to turn your head back to God and walk towards him. So these are the things of God. This is how to get off of the path of darkness, to get up, off of this path of shame, of lostness, of brokenness, uh, this, 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 uh, this path of violence and greed and lust. This is the right way. This is the way that is towards God. And so they receive the Ten Commandments and they're beginning to be filled up. This is what they were supposed to give as a light to the world. The world doesn't understand who God is, and they're saying, this is the rule. This is the, the way back to God. And, and it's, not, it's not just the, the Ten Commandments, because there are other laws that are, that are instituted. And then the temple, oh, this is where it gets good. And then the temple is created, and God gives rules to how the, and instructions of how the, the temple is to be built. There's supposed to be candles here, and there's supposed to be incense here. There's supposed to be a tent here for the, the Ark of the Covenant. There's supposed to be a place for the priests. There's a, and and the, the whole temple is a picture of who God is and what he requires of his people. And so as you walk into the temple, you would, you would be struck by all kinds of uh, visual effects. You'll see, you'll see uh, candles that are burning. And the candles are a reminder that the word of God is a light to the world. Dispelling that which is darkness and bringing a glowing light. And so as you walk in visually, you see this is what God is doing in this place and in the world. This is our kind of God. He is to be, he's going he's to dispel darkness. And then as you walk through, you begin to, pardon me, I'm getting excited. As you walk through, you begin to, Smell the incense that is burning at remembrance of the prayers that are going up to heaven, but also the, the scent that we are to have to the world, that the smell of God. Oh, it's good, isn't it? And then you would go and, and you would see an altar there with blood all over. You'd hear the death of a bull or a goat or a bird that would be sacrificed. You're reminded... That there is a penalty for walking this way. That it causes death and destruction. Every week they'd be reminded of this. Every year they'd have festivals centered on the, the death and the, the blood that would be shed. And it is all again God calling his creation back to him. And Israel was to be this people that carried this message, this news that God loved his creation and was calling his creation to him. But as you know, the story goes, even Israel struggled with God. And God continued to call them back to himself. And, and so God would see that, that they finally would become so hardened in their hearts, the remnant so small, he would send them away into captivity. It got so bad as you read the story, you wonder if he should continue at all with them. What is he going to do? As we get through the two-thirds of the way through the Old Testament, you wonder if God's going to do like he did at the very beginning, just wipe out all creation. 
is God going to send another flood? Is God going to send a fire to burn down all these people? Is he going to choose someone else? But that's not what God did. God began to send whispers to his prophets and say, there's one who is coming. There's one who is coming. He is the Messiah. He's going to save you. Hold on. He's coming. Just wait for him. He's coming. He will be called the Prince of Peace. He will be called a great counselor. He will be almighty God. He's coming for you. He's coming for you. He's coming for you. He, he will be greater than your greatest prophet. He will be greater than your greatest king. He will be greater than your greatest priest. Just wait because he's coming. And when he comes, he will usher in the kingdom. And it will be a new day. There will be a new way. And of course, uh, we are blessed in hindsight to know who this is. He sent word over and over, there's one coming, there's one coming. And then we see he comes, right? John chapter 3, for God so loved the world. God so loved this creation that was going this direction. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. God was making a way. And he says now, in Matthew chapter 5, Jesus is now on earth. He, he hasn't died and resurrected yet. And Matthew chapter 5 is the Sermon on the Mount. This is, this is really interesting. So Jesus is teaching them the way. It's almost like a, a redo of the Ten Commandments. I'm, I'm going to tell you the way to God. I'm going to tell you what his kingdom is like. And so he begins to explain and, and correct things they had gotten wrong and add to and, and, and tell them how he is the fulfillment of all those things in the past that have been done, that he is the completion of those things. And then and they're going to be changed people. They're going to enter into the kingdom. And if they believe in him, they're going to be a, a new nation. And he says this in, in chapter 5, verse 10, 14, he says, you now, as he's talking to his disciples, those who are entering into the kingdom, you now are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket. But they put it on a stand and it gives light to all in the house in the same way. Let your light shine before others so they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Did you catch that? Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and now the people of God, the church. What is our responsibility? To tell the world the good news of Jesus Christ. And so we see as Jesus departs, as he departs, he uh, gives the great commission. Now, you go and make disciples, baptizing them, seeing their salvation, teaching them to observe all the things that I've commanded you. Jesus is the way back. He's not just one pointing the way back. He is the way back. He, he accomplished the way back. We were created to be in a relationship with God, to worship God and be a right relationship with him. We, 
to be in harmony. And when we messed things up and went the other way, we were bound for destruction, but Jesus paid the penalty, what was due us for that transgression. And now he has given us a way back, the means to go back to the Father, to the Creator. He does something else. He regenerates us. We learned that word last week, regenerates. It, it comes from the word, you know, we, we have the word genesis, which means beginning. He regenesis us again. For those messed up hearts, that nature, he reforms. He changes and regenerates that nature to something else. And so now we are, are alive in Christ. We are new creation. This is the good news we get to share. So I have for you... Uh, one of my wife's candles, many of you know, she's uh, bestofnaturalsenses.com. You can get these for, no, I'm just kidding. But, uh, so these candles are special and unique uh, to us, but also they have, they're just not wax and a wick, but also they are in, they, they have the essential oils in them. So when you burn the candle, you have the light and then you have the aroma that goes through the room. Now, an essential oil, though, is different than a perfume. Like a perfume is something that's created to, mat, to, to imitate a scent. But the essential oil is actually the thing that has been condensed and now is being released. And so what happens is, as you're burning this, actually pieces of that essential thing that it was, whether it's, for this case, it's mint and rosemary, those things are actually now in the air, like tiny particles that you're receiving as you smell them in. This is the same kind of thing that God wants from us, to, to be a light. No, I gotta, I gotta light it, don't I? So now we are to be lights to the world, but that light also has an aroma to it. It is actually spreading out the essence of Jesus. So Jesus comes to live in our lives, and now we are giving him away, right? And so the gospel is us continually giving him away in all circumstances. Let me tell you what I'm talking about. The, the gospel has an effect. So when we, are, when we are sharing the gospel with people, it isn't just the story. It isn't just the facts, but the gospel affects all parts of our lives. So when we talk about our gospel witness, the responsibility in the life of God's vessels, all parts, the, go the, the gospel should affect all parts of our lives. So in our workplace, it should be infused with the aroma of the gospel so that we are are living that gospel out so it's as if Jesus is actually in our workplace and dispensing grace and forgiveness and love and patience and joy. He is, he is both constraining in us our, our greed and our selfishness and compelling us to new kinds of ways of living. So in Acts 1.8, when, when, when Jesus is telling his disciple, when I leave, I am going to send you the Holy Spirit, Acts 1a, and, and the Holy Spirit will come upon you and you shall be my, my what? Witnesses. He doesn't say evangelists. You'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the remotest parts of the earth. 
And what I want you to do is, now that you are infused with the Holy Spirit, now that you have the essence of the Spirit in you, as you go, I want you to make a difference. I want you to put gospel in every circumstance. I want you to be a witness to this truth that you've experienced and you know. And so we as the people of God, we're not, we're not car salesmen, okay? You know, we don't, we don't do the gospel like, hey, I, I, want, I need to get you saved today, and here's my pitch, and uh, I, hope, I hope I reach my quota, right? If I meet my, reach my quota, I'm definitely going to tell people at church. If I don't, yeah. That's not who we are, right? We are, we are witnesses to what God has done in our life, what he's done throughout the history Throughout history, how he has loved us and he's called his creation back to him. So we go and we apply the gospel, the sweet aroma of Jesus in every circumstance. And we tell them the light that Jesus has called into himself. That's the good news. Sometimes we, maybe we get mistaken and, and we think, well, really doing that is not my job. That's Justin's job. Or Marcus's job. Or maybe the greeter's job. They seem pretty, pretty holy over there. But it's not my job. But God has called us. To be a light. To be an aroma. Some of us don't light very well. It takes a little while. It takes a little while. But the responsibility is for God's people to be lights, to be a sweet aroma. We are to fulfill. It's part of our fulfilling of who God's called us to be. Ephesians chapter 6, it gives the armor of God for, all, for every believer. And he says, now, now prepare your feet with the good news, the gospel of peace. It's for all people. It's part of who we are. It's a responsibility of the church as God calls those to be evangelists and calls them to be prophets and teachers to equip the saints for that same kind of service. Is your light shining? It, it becomes, sometimes it can become like car salesman-like, right? Let's not think about that. We have a joy to share with the nations. And as you go, make disciples. Share the good news. Be a light. That all might know there is a way to God. That he has reached down. And he has made a way through Jesus. The way, the truth, and the life. That we might come unto him. And he's reaching out to them just as he's reached out to us. Evangelism, the neighborhood and the nations, is our calling. We are those vessels. But God is using those imperfect vessels to bless the world. What a joy. May we live in the blessings of God.